IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about new albums by some real indie rock lifers, including Silver Sun Pickups and Hot Chip. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. It's his fault that we talk about the 1975 so much, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? I would describe that relationship more as kind of codependent. Like, I'm going to bring up the 1975 just because I'm, like, excited about their music, and I've been a fan for a long time. But, I mean, aside from, I don't know, maybe testifying to the greatness of Jerry Rafferty, I've never heard you more locked in than when we are talking <laughs> shit about the 1975. We got yes. a problem. We We need an intervention. But for this time... Uh, maybe I'm just thinking in codependent terms because I've been listening to a lot of Jane's Addiction lately, but... Yeah, yeah. You look, I, I was joking in the intro. <laughs> I, I take equal responsibility for the 1975 content in this episode. And uh, I feel like we have to acknowledge that there is a... I'll call it a minor revolt at this point. It might grow into a full-on rebellion among our listeners who are rising up to complain about how much we uh, talk about the 1975 on the show. I was looking at the mailbag, and there are literally emails from people where they're not even like writing an email, it's just a subject line. And it just <laughs> says, please stop. Please stop talking about the 1975. And all the emails are sent like from people's phones. Like, you know how it says at the end, send from an <laughs> iPhone or whatever. So my assumption is that these people are on a walk, or uh, at the gym, or maybe they're even in the it, like they're in the car and they're pulling over in the middle of the episode. They're pausing the episode. They're going to their Gmail account and they're pleading with us in the middle of listening to the episode, as if we're hearing them in real time, as if we can stop the episode that we've already recorded and change the subject. Just pleading with us not to talk about this band anymore. <laughs> I, and I'm not hearing from the people who love it. You know, maybe there's a silent majority that loves it, but the the people who hate it are making their voices heard. I love the idea that there's this contingent of IndieCast listeners, if what you s- describe is true, that are like they think we're kind of like a call-in show where, like halfway through, like like what, I'm gonna have to pull out the uh, much beloved Philadelphia sports talk voice here, where it's like, hey, yeah, man, uh, uh we, we need to talk less about the 1975 and uh more about Parquet Courts because they're one of the great rock bands of our time. You know, just kind of, uh, just kind of going off on that can that part right now. It's like IndieCast needs to start talking about pop records. And I, I, okay, I've moved on to kind of like a Bernie Sanders <laughs> sort of thing. This is going way off the fucking rails, but uh, th- that's kind of the equivalent of like when I was writing uh, like Kid Cudi and like Airborne Toxic event reviews back in the uh, late two thousands, where the emails would always come from like three o'clock in the morning at a college email address so uh maybe that maybe those are those people growing up now you know before they were like drunk and angry and reading pitchfork at three in the morning uh before a midterm exam now they're on their lunch break pissed off listening to indycast and they're sending from their phones 
Well, maybe they feel like this trend has already been hashed, and then we're just hashing it to a degree that uh, maybe it just feels like overkill already, which is hilarious because this album is coming out in two months. We already have 1975 exhaustion in the (laughs) IndieCast community. This is going to be tough in the fall when this album comes out. But, you know, maybe we can pace it a little bit. You know, I look, I hear, I'm not going to dismiss the criticism out of hand. I understand the feedback. I'm going to listen to it. We'll pace ourselves a little bit with this. I'm just saying that if an interview drops with Maddie Healy, I cannot restrain myself from making fun of it. So I, I just fair warning, try to be quick about it. We don't want to have overkill with this, uh, but it's just something that's going to happen. In this episode, though, we're, we're, we're really going in the opposite direction because instead of talking about this superstar act, we're really going to be talking about some lifers here mm-hmm. in the indie rock world. Uh, several bands that have been around for a long time. Maybe they had their moment a decade or so ago, but they're still putting out records. And I don't know about you, but like some of the bands we're talking about, I don't go deep on. Like I, I, I know who they are, but I, I haven't really listened to them. So I actually had a really fun time this week listening to some of these groups that I'm, I'm aware of, but I, I don't go deep on. And uh, it was it was a fun experience because like, we're talking about big discographies here, by I would say like second or maybe even third tier indie acts. Yeah. But that have been around for a while and they have, you know, a sizable catalog. So it was it was fun. I'm I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, most of these bands I would say would peak, you know, 2006 to 2008. You know, of course we have talking about Hot Chip and Silver Sun Pickups and of course another rock band that has an album out this week, Panic at the Disco. So. Uh, yeah, we're not I, talking about them though. We're not doing any <laughs> panic talk because well, we didn't get the album in advance. Nope. But they are one. You know, we're gonna do some Mountain Goats talk. Uh, there's a McCluskey reunion that oh, we need yeah. to talk about, and also Ian's <laughs> personal interaction. We also have some Oasis talk later because I wrote about Oasis this week. So a lot to get into. But before we get to all that, let's do our mailbag segment. And uh, before we get to this week's letter, I want to do a quick shout out to Josh who wrote us this week to talk about this playlist that he made with his friends. It's called the Josh playlist. And I'm not going to read the letter cause it's a very long letter, but Josh thought his friends, uh, Chris and Charlie who listened to the show, he thought that they would appreciate if we gave a shout out to the Josh playlist. It's the 10th anniversary of the playlist. So I'm going to do that. I'm giving a shout out to the Josh playlist. Yeah. Shout it out. Do you want to give a shout out to the Josh yeah, playlist shout, too? Shout to Josh. You know, I got yeah, Josh. I, I, I thought it said initially it's the Josh and Josh playlist, which would be totally awesome. Like it just reminds me so much of growing up in Jewish youth group on the East Coast where like <laughs> 75% of the people there were named Josh. So Multiple Joshes. Now I believe there's only one Josh uh, with the playlist, but it's the 10th anniversary of the playlist. So hopefully it has another 10 years or more ahead of it. So thank you for writing in, Josh. And uh, Chris and Charlie, I hope you appreciate the shout-out. Do you want to read this week's letter? Uh, Yes, I do. So, hi, Stephen and Ian. My 10-year-old son listens to Top 40 Radio, and it's pretty rare to hear any rock. Kids today, huh? 
The one rockish song they seem to have in heavy rotation is Begging by Monoskin. Now, I kind of wish, Steve, that you volunteered to read this one because I was dying to know how you'd pronounce this band's name. I looked well, it up. Well, is, is it Monoskin? Yeah. Is that the prop? Because you could go Mainskin. It's Monoskin. I, I, I it's looked monoskin. it up. They have a, it's called a ring above the A. It's that circle that you sometimes see above the A. It's sort of umlaut adjacent. But anyway, so it sounds vaguely like some bad 90s stuff. And I have no idea why they're playing it alongside all the typical pop stuff. I preferred the short-lived run of Machine Gun Kelly in the mix. Is this to imply that the Machine Gun Kelly era is over? I don't know. Um, do you no, know? I, I, I still see stories about him every week, like breaking a wine glass on his face. Okay. And bleed. Like, that's his thing now, like where he, he breaks wine glasses on his face and he bleeds okay that that he's at that stage right now he's like the and, homer uh, simpson and hullabalooza <laughs> taking like like taking or it's like a gg allen I he's guess. doing like a like the uh yeah like the hot topic gg allen act he's gonna be like you know taking a shit on stage here <laughs> what a performer at some point <laughs> exactly what what an artist yeah so speaking of uh speaking of the art the gg allens of our time so John in Seattle wants to know, do you know who Monoskin are and why they're getting mainstream airplay? Yes. So this is an interesting story. I feel like some people listening to this might be aware of the Monoskin phenomenon because this has been going on for a while. This song is um, like five years old. Just to give a little background here, like Monoskin was, they're this glam rock band from Italy. They were on the Italian version of the X Factor. When they played this song, it's called Beggin. It's a cover of a Four Seasons song from 1967. Okay. And so I think the song was a hit in Europe because of this X Factor thing. And then it got a second wind when Monoskin won uh, the Eurovision contest in 2021. And this song, uh, it just became like an internet sensation. Apparently, it was nominated for a favorite trending song award at the American Music Awards. I didn't even know that was a category. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it lost to Megan Thee Stallion's Body. Oh. Uh, and Monoskin subsequently has gone on to perform this song on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and The Ellen DeGeneres Show. They were also on SNL in January. I don't remember that. Okay. At all. I believe that to be true. Let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, check our sources. Uh you know, afterwards we're gonna we're we're gonna go back to the tape, see if that was real. But it's that sounds like I mean, I'm less inclined to believe. Actually, I'm more inclined to believe they lost uh, the most trending song at the American Music Awards. You know, but yeah, just like favorite trending song as a category, I, yeah. I find that to be pretty funny. But um, I'm curious to hear your experience with this song. I've heard this song in the wild. I remember I was in my car with the kids and uh the local top 40 station was on and this song came on and i was like does gogo bordello have a hit song now because it kind of sounded like gogo bordello to oh, me God. like the, the like the uh the klezmer kind of gypsy rock act uh, i think they're from new york uh, i think um, they are yeah <laughs> so i actually uh i shazammed it because i was like what the hell is this song and it came up monoskin begging and um, on one hand, it's a very obnoxious song. Yeah. It is really annoying and grating. But on the other hand, I was kind of fascinated that this song, which sounds like nothing else on certainly pop radio, has become such a big hit. Like, did you know this song has been streamed 1.1 billion 
times. That sounds about right. Because you brought up hearing it in the wild. Like, I, my only experience interfacing with this song has been in the wild. Uh, not since Magic's Rude has there been a song I've heard more often <laughs> at 7-Eleven. Now, mind you, like, we have to describe the difference between hearing a song at 7-Eleven and the CVS slash Ralph's Rock we've heard before. 7-Eleven tends to be more contemporary, a little bit more uh, aggressively bad. And the first time I heard it, you you brought up Gogol Bordello, which to me is like, this is a, Gogol Bordello is a band that I really feel could, um, you know, have a TikTok renaissance uh, in the oh, right yeah. circumstances. I heard, like, I heard this kind of a strummy, ovation, egg-shaped acoustic guitar sort of Hillsong thing. I thought I heard slap bass. I swear to God, I thought this was, like, a song from Live's Mental Jewelry. Uh, <laughs> and there's, like, a, a kind of overbearing, groaning voice. I, and I'm like, look, I, this is 2021. I know it's not Pain Lies by the Riverside. And it's yeah, like, oh. I could tell. That's hilarious. I, that would not have occurred to me, but I, that's so spot on. I think we should merge... This is Gogo Bordello covering Pain Lies by the Riverside. Okay, I, I think I'd listen to that. that. That works as, like, for people who haven't heard this song, I think that's, like, a pretty accurate description of what this song sounds like. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, a month or so later when I went to Pitchfork Festival, uh, I heard this song in, like, two out of three lifts I took. But, yeah, I'm objectively, <laughs> I'm objectively fascinated by this song because... In no way, shape, or form should this be as popular as it is if we're, like, talking about, like, trending or what have you. But it is, I mean, alongside, like, I would say Glass Animals Heat Wave, this is just a song that has not gone away for two, three years. And I can't figure out, like, what about this song got there? Because, I mean, before Monoskin, like, what would be the most popular Italian, like, you know, from Italy rock band? Like, can you think of one? Oh man. See, this would be where you could have totally <laughs> thrown down the gauntlet for for refs. If you could have just busted out an I Italian got nothing. rock band ref. I can't think of anything. I mean, again, that's what is kind of endearing about this song, as obnoxious as it is, that it is such a curveball in this world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, it it basically seems like a novelty song. You know, like that part of why it's become popular is that it's this Italian rock cover of an oldie by the Four Seasons. It's just this kind of weird. Maybe people like the quirkiness of it. Although if you go on Spotify or on YouTube, they have other songs that have hundreds of millions of streams. I don't know if that is mostly like the European market. I, I don't have any sense of them having another hit in America. But I don't know. It just seems like this is going to be a song that it's like the glam rock equivalent of like the Macarena or uh, I'm Too Sexy or something. And uh, I mean, it's even more incredible to think about how this song broke through, because when you actually look at what rock playlists are are doing right now, I I just have to bring this up. Uh, Like, do you happen to know what the number one? Uh, Billboard song on hot the number one hot rock and alternative song in America is according to Billboard. No clue. Running up that hill. Uh. Do you know what the number one hot hard rock song is? <laughs> um, this is th- th- there's a clue in there if you know where to if you know what to if you know where to look. Uh, hard rock song. Is this like another oldie? Is it like another like? Is it the Master of Puppets? That is correct. Okay. So. Yeah, and then I looked at K-Rock's list, and it's like, 
cannons, giant rooks, abso facto. Like, I think we, if, if IndyCast has one last pivot, we are just going to go straight ahead to these bands that get played on K-Rock that no, no one, I mean, they're super duper popular, but like nobody in music writing Twitter is going to touch with a 20-foot pole. So Yeah, if, I, that is a fascination for me, like the rock radio gruel that like program directors really like. That mm-hmm. and this is in a way going to segue into our Silver Sun pickups conversation. Even though I, I like, I, there's a lot of Silver Songs, song, Silver Sun pickup songs that I like, but they fall into that too, where um, it's music specifically designed to get played on K Rock and not mm-hmm. exist anywhere outside of that context. <laughs> like every year when you look at like the best rock song category at the Grammys, there's always one band that you've never heard of that is really big in that world, like Highly Suspect. I remember that band. Oh, yeah. They're a band that's really big in that world that doesn't get talked about anywhere, but they have like one song that connected with program directors at big rock radio stations, and they're the ones who nominate bands for those categories, so then they end up getting shine for that reason. Yeah, in a way that it's like I'm more fascinated to read about that stuff than like the most avant-garde, ambient, or jazz music out there because that stuff's supposed to be on the margins, but there's just this huge, huge void between like the pervasive pop-leaning writing world and the avant-garde-leaning writing world that just does not take account, uh, you know, the most popular song by Cannons or... Actually, Wet Leg is like the one band that's kind of breaking this uh, playlist. So, can't wait to see how their career trajectory goes. Yeah, or yeah, Glass Animals, who we oh, brought yeah. up before, like they're the ultimate example of that. Exactly. Uh, or, um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on their name. The band that uh, they started out as a psychedelic <laughs> band and then they started making sort of poppy soul Portugal songs. the Man. Yes, they were another one. <laughs> they, they kind of started in the indie world and then they, they really went did. into the radio rock world. Mm hmm. So, good maneuver by them. Um, well, let's get into uh, our conversation here, uh, which there is a through line here with a lot of our topics this week about legacy indie bands that have stuck around for a decade plus that I would say the thing that a lot of these groups have in common is that at no point were, were people saying that any of these groups were like the best in their particular era. But they've managed to stick around. And some of them have pretty big mm-hmm. audiences. But I don't know. It's like with a lot of the groups that we're going to be talking about today, there's like no real sort of like touch tone album that they put out. Or there's not like a central like narrative that you could connect them to in a particular era saying, oh, they belong to this. So that's why they're significant. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I think we have a lot of sympathy to legacy acts on this show because... <laughs> I think at some point people just get sick of writing about you and you can fade out for that reason. Um, but I don't know. I, I, like I said at the top, some of the groups that we're, that, that we're going to be talking about, like I don't go deep on them, but it was fun to explore their careers. And I actually think that the new records that they're putting out today are pretty good generally. Yeah, I think this also aligns with uh, a story that The Guardian, I believe, put out this week about people over 35 stopped listening. Like, people who reach the age of 35 and they just stop listening to music. And so, yeah, I, I mean, in a way... Which is everybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's most people, isn't it? I, I, I would think so, yeah. Like, I don't know anyone my age. Like, like none of... like I, I don't think any of my friends, or very few of my friends, give 
a rat's ass about new music. Yeah, and the ones you who... know, like occasionally they'll hear something, but like not really uh, by and large. That 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 is like the normal way that most people age. I think, and I and I love how the people who are who like reach that point like still kind of hold on to the bands they may have discovered at 23, 24. and so you know they they don't really interface with much new music, but they still have like a place deep in their heart for like hot chip or rah rah riot it's a nice little personality quirk so i'm i'm stoked to talk about this stuff because we wrap that audience hard yes we do the first band we're going to talk about we're actually not going to talk about very long because we've (laughs) talked about this band before and i have to recuse myself from reviewing this album just because i think i feel like i've made my feelings known generally about their work um, it's the Mountain Goats. They have a record out today. It's called Bleed Out. This is the 20th Mountain Goats album. Which I thought is, there was more. Well, they've really picked up the pace in recent years. I feel like they've been putting out at least an album a year. They might have even had a couple, like, two album years. But uh, they've been really, really prolific. And look, we talked about this fairly recently with the Mountain Goats. This is the number one band that I should like. Because there's a lot of things about the Mountain Goats that fall in line with music that I enjoy from other artists. Very literary lyrics. It's a singer-songwriter kind of sensibility. Really good at building worlds. A deep catalog. Kind of an Americana aspect to it, but definitely like a... Is it fair to call them emo on some level? Some level, yes. They wouldn't be classified as emo, but like emo people could claim them and enjoy what they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. and I respect John Darnielle as an artist. I think he's a really good writer. He's you know branched off into doing novels. Very talented guy. My problem, again, is his voice. <laughs> I cannot connect with the records because of his voice. That has been the stumbling block for me. And I know I like a lot of singer-songwriters who have quirky voices, starting with the original Bobby D. Love Bobby D, my number one artist of all time. But I don't know. I just have not been in the right circumstance where I could hear this music and connect with it. And I hope that happens because there's 20 Mountain Goats albums. So if I ever have a change of heart, I'll have a lot to listen to and I'm excited about that. But uh, for now, I just, again, it's confounding to me that I don't like this band, but I I just have not been able to connect with them. Yeah. I'm like, I'm hoping that you have that because then I can see, you know, you make the kind of Oasis or Bob Dylan-esque list for up rocks. Um, Yeah. I think there's like, there's an, (laughs) I just think of the episode of the Simpsons where like um, the lemon of Troy episode where the Springfield kids go to Shelbyville and like, they're the kids who are like, like slightly altered doppelgangers of themselves. And I feel like there's like an indie cast ver- where it's, there's like a version of that for us where like, we're almost exactly the same, except we're really fucking into mountain goats. Like, I just think that was, if someone had slid me say Tallahassee, like at 23 or whatever, like maybe I would have grown up to be an enormous mountain goats fan, but that just was not in the cards. And now like every single time they put it out an album, I just assume it's about like wrestling or dungeons and dragons. It turns out they, they have some albums about that. This one's about like sixties horror movies. Um, I respect John, John. Yell. Okay. Um, yeah. I wish them the best. I think they're the sort of band that, you know, really plays well with the uh, music writer world, so they'll always be protected. Um, yeah, I just, 
I, 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 I always wonder whether they have like a, I guess like Benji or a crow looked at me type album that could be in the works that like makes them like a very big critical thing again. But you know, the sunset tree was that album came out in 2005. It's the one mountain goats album I love this year was a big song on TikTok, So I guess they've already had that. So, uh, yeah, mountain goats, we'll have the same conversation next year. <laughs> yeah. I think that they're in that Wilco zone, like where they put out well-regarded late period albums. And if you are a fan, you can hear something fresh in it and enjoy it. Like I love the Wilco record that came out this year, cruel country. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't give a shit about Wilco. And if they heard that record, it wouldn't get them into the band, you know? It's a similar thing, I think, with Mountain Goats, where if you are on their wavelength, this new album is probably really good and you're going to love it. Whereas if you're not on board, it's just another Mountain Goats record. So more power to them. I'm glad they're making a lot of music. I know they have an audience that's very committed to what they do. So mm-hmm. Godspeed. I wish them the best, and I hope I get on board at some point. That's a, I sincerely feel that because getting into a new band that has a huge catalog, yeah. that's always really fun. But I just haven't been able to do it yet with Mountain Goats. Uh, let's talk about Silver Sun pickups. Let's talk about fucking Silver Sun pickups. I've been waiting for you to say that for 102 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> so they have a new album out today. It's called Physical Thrills. It's their sixth album. That's it? Well, here's the thing. They've put out a new album every three years, exactly, since 2006. That was their first record. I believe it was called Carnivas. Something oh, like it was that? definitely called Carnivas or Carnivas? 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 We're going to spend the next five minutes. Fortunately, they moved on to like calling albums things like Swoon and Physical Thrills. Right. But that was their biggest record. Their biggest record was their first record. That's the one that spawned off some of their biggest radio hits, including Lazy Eye. And there's another song that I can't remember the title of. This is a <laughs> band that I've always been aware of. And I've heard occasional songs that I've always liked it, but I've never investigated deeper they didn't seem like i needed to dig deeper and i was talking earlier about like the rock radio gruel bands out there that seem to only exist in like the k-rock extended universe like that station or stations that are like that throughout the country it seemed like when silver sun pickups came out that that was the niche that they were filling like we need songs that are reminiscent of 90s rock in particular smashing pumpkins and here's another band whose initials are SP. Oh, great. Let's plug yeah. them in. And it seems like that was the niche that they filled, and they've continued to do that for a surprisingly long time. I mean, six albums. They have a deep catalog at this point. I figure that they must have committed fans out there, even though they don't... They personify what I was saying before, that this is a band that like I don't think anyone has ever argued was like the best band of a particular year. Even people who love this band... I feel like it's like the second or third or fourth favorite band, maybe in a particular period of time. And there's, an, there's something about that I, that I kind of love, though, especially since they're still around. Like they get compared to Smashing Pumpkins, but the difference is that they they don't seem to have nearly as much ambition, or or and certainly not as much grandiosity as Smashing Pumpkins. Like if you wanted like a modest Smashing Pumpkins, that's what this band is. Like for better or worse. 
Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. do you think that's a fair assessment? I think it's a totally fair assessment. And also, we have to like mention the fact that similar to Smashing Pumpkins, there it's four people: a female vocalist slash bassist, the drummer that is way too active. Go watch the go watch the Panic Switch video. This guy is just going nuts like he's playing in like a blast beat black metal band but they're playing kind of uh watered down smashing pumpkin stuff yeah i'm kind of surprised i don't like this band more for the exact reasons you mentioned because look i love me some smashing pumpkins i don't mind um you know bands that are trying to do like gish era stuff especially when like you know smashing pumpkins were making zeitgeist and songs for transformers movies um when you said there are people who aren't there's no one who's really championing that band every now and again someone will make that claim like i think of this onion article from 2003 called uh sort of attractive girl half-heartedly hit on and it makes me think of these people who like try to make the argument that silver sun pickups are like underrated or like secretly great and you can just tell their heart's not really in it they just want to say like okay Lazy Eye, I like that song on Guitar Hero. Panic Switch, kind of whips. But, yeah, you just can't make the argument that they're underappreciated. I think that they're the sort of band that is uh, a rarity in that they are extremely accurately rated, <laughs> which is to say that they come around every three years, they get reviewed by less and less places, uh, their sound exactly like you would expect the Silver Sun pickups to sound in 2022, and... They, you know, they, they, they somehow land on K-Rock playlists in a way that would be just such a phenomenally uh, massive achievement for any band. I, can, I, can I just tell a story about, like, the most ultimate radio rock thing that I've ever done? Like, it involves Silver Sun pickups. Like, <laughs> okay. I, gotta, I have, like, my one, like, you have a billion of these stories, I feel like, just because of, like, where you live and, like, where you grew up. I actually, I saw, I, I lived in LA for like 10 years, like during peak pickups, but the only time I saw them was during a two that, for my, for my birthday in 2006, I agreed to go to the, I want to, I got to say this name as is, Spring Fling Rock AF radio tour with Silver Sun Pickups, <laughs> Cage the Elephant, Foles, and Bare Hands. Yeah. I saw this in Bakersfield, <laughs> California, shout wow. to Live Nation TV. The wow. most diverse crowd I've ever been a part of. It, cause, because it was, you know, like in Bakersfield, you don't get too many shows coming. And, you know, the rock station is the one sponsoring this. And you get, like, teens and, like, biker dudes who weirdly seem to know the words to, like, one full song. Fascinating. They're all rep by Q Prime Management, by the way, which is, like, Metallica's management company. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that that that's my experience with Silver Sun pickups, just corporate rock to the core. Yeah, I just wonder though, you know, going back to your point about, uh, you know, we were talking about like no one's repping them, or if people are repping them, it's half-hearted. I do wonder if there is a generation of people who were in their late teens, early twenties in two thousand six, who have a soft spot for Silver Sun pickups in the same way that we would for like. Stone Temple Pilots. Absolutely. In the 90s, you know, like, just like, because this was on the radio a lot, it's catchy, and it was there for you at a formative time in your life, and now you feel like people don't pay it enough respect. Like, th there probably is, like, a genuine constituency out there 
for Silver Sun pickups in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they're because they're slightly more artful than some of the bands that we've mentioned, like, you know, your your highly suspects of the world. Like that, if like that is your main conduit to rock music, and yeah, like Silver Sun pickups are like artful as shit, man. They might as well be the Pixies or whatever. I can imagine that's happening. And I got to say, you know, their new record, Physical Thrills, out today, I enjoyed listening to it. I The thing with this record is that it does push my pleasure centers and my, uh, I guess, the affection that I have for 90s bands that are on the second and third tier that get overlooked. You know, even though Silver Sun Pickups, they're not a 90s band, but they're certainly emulating 90s alt-rock there's something very professional and competent <laughs> about the way they put together records. And I say that as a compliment. That doesn't sound like a compliment. You know, this certainly is not going to revolutionize rock music. It's not changing the world in any degree. But I will say that I, I do think that there is, there's not a ton of bands that do this sort of competent professional rock in a way that I find entertaining. Usually I just find it to be totally boring. And there is an element, certainly, of Silver Sun Pickups that feels like a little generic, I think, at times. It actually made me think about the Smashing Pumpkins comeback record, Oceana, that came out in 2012, which I think is kind of <laughs> underrated. It's like the best record that they put out, uh, you know, the, the you know, post-2000, which isn't saying much, but I mean, I, I do enjoy that record. Um, kind of reminded me of that, this, this Silver Sun Pickups record, Physical Thrills. Again, like... I don't know if I'm going to go back to this record, but when it was on, I enjoyed it. And I can see why this would work on the radio because it is immediately accessible, even if maybe it doesn't have quite the substance to stick with you. Over yeah, the I, I think it competent that uh, that it it's hard to make competent, good rock music. So that is the, that is our ringing endorsement for the new Silver Sun Pickups album. Like, I feel like I need to say that in like a K-Rock voice. That was the new Silver Sun Pickups from Physical Thrills this weekend on the shore. And we're going to have, uh, I just talked about, it's like some fucking terrible music festival. Uh, I have to work. I, apparently I've like lost my touch with my Philly uh, sports radio caller voice and my uh, Southern California radio voice. Yeah, we got we got to work on that. We got to bring that more into the episode <laughs> so you keep limber with the Philly sports talk radio voice. Well, let's uh, transition to talking about Hot Chip, and I'm not going to say that they're the British version of Silver Sun pickups, uh, but there's some similarities here. Again, we have another indie music lifer. Uh, they have a new album out today. It's called Freak Out Release. This is the eighth Hot Chip album, and again, this is a group that has stayed consistent over the years they've put out a new album every two or three years since 2004 and you know i said earlier that the groups that we're talking about today have never really had a moment like where they were at the top of the mountain you know they've always been maybe like a mid-tier act but they've managed to hang on and put out music over the years but was there a moment like where hot chip had their moment in the sun like i feel like in the late aughts they were pretty buzzy back then i think so i mean they, they were buzzy enough to be they, they live on mostly as a meme right now perhaps like you've seen the one where it's like any female born after 1993 can't cook all they know is mcdonald's charge they phone twerk be bisexual eat hot chip and lie um and people <laughs> took that as like kind of uh being about that band but yeah i think that um they had a moment in the late aughts they were like 
not they, they were kind of blog house quasi adjacent like you know they could be in the same realm as like say uh justice let's call it but you know they were kind of more of like a pet shop a pet shop boys for the modern day or right. like phoenix like if you like phoenix or if you like justice they're kind of in that realm but they they're a little bit more dorky they have like kind of a devo-esque appearance in some ways um, yeah, I was. I, they always had more of like a writerly or like smart person uh, edge to them that like some of the other Blockhouse acts or Blockhouse adjacent acts didn't have, which is why in that moment, and we should mention, you know, like we're talking about albums like The Warning that came out in 2006, Made in the Dark came out in 2008. I know those were both big hits in the UK and they were critical hits here. To me, they always gave me like, like you said, like a Pet Shop Boys top vibe uh, kind of vibe or or maybe like if xtc played synthesizers yeah you know like that would they would be hot chip you know just a very kind of smart pop yeah. group. extremely uk like i mean the fact that they're as popular as they are in the united states and actually i think they're very popular in la for that reason like uk bands across the board do really well here and you know, Hot Chip was a band that I would all like. Basically, if you were like on any like dating site uh, from 2010 to 2016 in LA, uh, you're probably gonna like meet someone who's into Hot Chip. Yeah, and you know, again, like I, this is a group that I've always been aware of, and I've I've heard certain songs here and there. And you will see, similar to what you were saying about Silver Sun pickups, you will occasionally see people stump for Hot Chip and their their catalog. Uh, and, and them being a really consistent band. And uh, I've never really dug deep. And this week, I, w- you know, I was listening to the new record, which I was enjoying. And I was going into their other albums uh, and really liking it. And uh, they do seem like a group that could have a resurgence because I think that they are pretty consistent. I was going to ask you, you, know, you mentioned them being Bloghouse adjacent. Do you feel also that they rubbed up against Chillwave in any way? I mean, they were more of a, you know, a, a glossier, classier version of electronic pop, but like they were running parallel to that more sort of lo-fi Chillwave thing that was going on. I feel uh, at around that. I mean, time. I feel like they had like overlaps of fans, but like Hot Chip was more like they they were almost like a synthesizer band that was like men as a rock band i remember interviewing uh michael from passion pit and his goal was to have more synthesizers on stage than hot chip they they they're <laughs> i would say they're a lot more intentional a lot more extroverted in terms of their lyrics i mean i consider you could probably make a late 90s movie or i'm sorry like a late 2000s uh movie like set in that era where you play like feel it all around but also ready for the floor uh, and it would make sense, but I don't, I don't see Hot Chip being any uh, really a chill wave in, in any real way. So what'd you think of the new record? <laughs> I mean, this is an example of something where I don't have enough perspective on their catalog to know where this fits. I know when it was on, I was enjoying it, and I know from listening to their previous records that it doesn't seem like a departure in any way. You know, from, again, being someone who's just dabbling in Hot Chip, it seemed like an extension of their sound, that if you like their other records, you're going to like this one. Similar to what I was saying about Mountain Goats and making the Wilco comparison, that if you're into Hot Chip, you're going to like this record. If you have never listened to this band, this maybe won't be the one that gets you into them. 
unless you just decide because you host an indie rock <laughs> podcast that you're going to start listening to Hot Chip. You know, do you have any more like do you go deeper on them than I do? Like do you have any perspective on yeah, them? Yeah, I definitely do. Um the warning I that's as close as they've gotten to like a end to end great record. I think they're kind of similar to Phoenix in that none of their records really like do it from start to finish, but they can put incredible greatest hits together. Uh the nice thing about Hot Chip like or being Hot Chip is that they are at a point where they never got so big that people will just like review them just because like they want to get like that assignment. Like if, if a hot chip record is getting reviewed, it's going to be reviewed by someone who has followed them and is interested in them and isn't going like, they're going to be kind to it. I thought this album, they sound totally fucking gassed. Like I think, or maybe it's just my perspective because like I do want a good hot chip record. I think also they're a band that makes me feel, I don't know, comfortable because it is like a kind of indie slash dancey slash pop and like the sound of indie slash dancey slash pop to me i just cannot it doesn't resonate with me at all so i could be like oh yeah hot well, chip they they still got it well it, do you think that they're gassed because they're just repeating themselves or do you feel like the songs aren't good because i thought that the songs on this record are good you know and i was engaged with it but I, Coming from the perspective of someone who's deeper into their catalog, do you just feel like, well, I've heard this before and it's not as good as what they've done on previous records? It's just sort of reiterating a template that I know really well at this point. I feel point. like they're just kind of going like it's like, okay, cool, that's a hot chip song. If just if it, it feels if not like going through the motions or phoning it in, it it's like they're definitely not pushing themselves. It's a it's a hot chip record that will arrive to polite applause and the live show will probably be fun. I would probably enjoy it, but yeah, it's, I, I don't think this is the one where you can make an argument to jump in. It's just something that, Hey, let's get the band together. Let's go on tour. If nothing else, the warning and, uh, the one after that made in the dark, that's kind of peak, but yeah, it's, it's there. <laughs> well, I, as someone who is just delving into hot chip, I did enjoy listening to those two records you mentioned from the late aughts. That seems like the place to start with this band. If you're curious, you want to dive in. I think that they have a lot of good songs. They seem like they have an interesting catalog. So a lot to explore there. Um, let's talk about McCluskey. <laughs> the Welsh post-punk. It's fair to call them post-punk, right? Or are they just straight up They're punk? They're post-punk. Uh, I mean, they're produced by Steve Albini. Um, I, I, they have a very much like kind of sneering, abrasive sound that to me has more in common with like, you know, amphetamine reptile type bands than punk, let's say. But they were one of the early, uh, crew of talky, heavy riffing bands. Like they preceded the hold steady and, uh, you know, art brute. I get, like when I listen to McCluskey, this remind me, I feel like it was art brute just satirizing McCluskey. Cause there is an element of like connection there, except art brute's just like way jokier than McCluskey. Although McCluskey has some jokey elements to them too, like with the song titles anyway. Um, anyway, they announced a reunion this week and I believe it's been 18 years since they've uh, played together. So this is going to be a big deal with a certain subset <laughs> of listeners out there. You know, we've made jokes recently about grumpy middle-aged punks on Facebook. 
And I feel like McCluskey is like a mascot band for that constituency. <laughs> and I say that I say that with love. I say that with love. But you know, when I mentioned this in our outline, you reminded me, and I'd forgotten about this. I remembered this. This was like around the time that we became friends. So like I, I didn't totally know you when this was going on. But you had a run-in with the lead singer of McCluskey when he was in his next band, Future of the Left. Yeah. <laughs> where he got angry with you because you wrote a 6.0 review of this Future of the Left record. I did. And <laughs> it's funny because I, when you mentioned this, I went back and I read, because he wrote this long screed responding to your review. And then there's also a Vice interview. Oh, I didn't, I don't I didn't saw see that. that. Were they, I think it was in, because this was like in 2012, right? Yeah, it was definitely 2012. So 10 years ago. And then the following year, there was an interview with this with the with the lead singer, and I should say his name Andy Falcus. Yeah, also and, known as Andy Falco. I think he goes by a couple different names. <laughs> and anyway, they were asking the interview was asking him about this review, and and Falco was going off, and they asked if you'd ever responded to his response, and he said no. And then he said something about how he wanted you to review the next future of the left record so that you could cross sabers again. And he called you D'Artagnan, which, oh. which is a three musketeers reference. Okay. Uh, which is a very Welsh post punk, post punk singer thing to do, I think. Uh, but anyway, McCluskey reunion. Are you, cause, cause you're a fan of McCluskey, right? Oh, I fucking love that. And that was like kind of the crux of the, uh, that review I wrote, which is that I, that band, I love Do Dallas. That is a band that really was a big part of my me formulating my identity as a music writer. And just to hear them like make what I thought were like extremely corny uh, jokes about like Billy Corgan and like Howard the Duck on that record. I'm like, I had to kind of tell it like it was at least, you know, back in 2012 and I felt more inclined to do that sort of thing. And let me just say this, like of all, of all the musicians who have like, you know, giving me shit for reviews I've written about them. I think it, that one was the best. Like that one, I'm like, Dan, this dude really went in. Now, do ha, did it make me change my mind about that record? No, I think I'm still kind of right about it. But um, yeah, and this and, is, and, that did, and that didn't ruin like do Dallas for you because I have no. to admit that if like that happened to me, I'd be kind of like, oh, this guy's an asshole. I I kind of this is ruining even the record that I like by him. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I've had it. Th- that's been one of the really tough things to deal with. Where like I'll write a negative review of a band I like, or even just like kind of, not a straight up pan, but they'll like be super pissed off at me, and to the point where it's hard to kind of separate that from like my enjoyment. But like with 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 McGlusky, like. I mean, the entire album, Do Dallas, is just this guy yelling at you the entire time. So in a weird way, it doesn't really change my uh, relation to it. Like, McCluskey, when they play, you get the sense they fucking hate you. So, (laughs) you know what? It it gives us, it's like an added bonus to it. But will I see it? I don't know. It's in LA. If it's on a Friday, maybe I'll come up. I would still love to interview Andy Falcus. I think that would be fun. Let's put that out there. Yeah. We're putting that out there in the world right now. Someone is going to hear this and take you up on it, and I hope they do. I think you should go to the L.A. show and set up a booth 
that says Ian Cohen, I reviewed the 2012 Future of the Left record. Andy Falco went after me. Yeah. And then you just sign photos of yourself and sell them for $10. <laughs> I think you yeah. could make some money. Because that's the one place where that would be, people would be really, you know, excited or, or, or you know, at least intrigued to see you. Because you're a character now in the McCluskey universe. Yeah, and fun fact, um, Future of the Left, uh, that was the, f- they, the first time I saw Japan droids, they were opening for Future of the Left. Oh. They, they, of course, have covered To Hell With Good Intentions, uh, which is McCluskey's most famous song. Very interesting. It all comes back together. Um, we have time here quick. I, I just wanted to get your take on something, because I wrote a big piece this week about Oasis. And look, I've talked a lot about Oasis in my life and my career. They're one of my favorite bands, certainly one of my favorite bands of the nineties. And I wrote a big retrospective piece writing about my 50 favorite Oasis songs. And it's, it's in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of be here now, which is October 21st in the UK. I believe it was the 26th here in America. Um, I may be the only person who marks the 25th anniversary of be here now. I hope I'm not, but I'm just curious. We've talked a bit about Oasis. I don't know if you saw my piece, Ian, or if you have any opinions on this. But uh, I'm just curious to get your, your quick take on Oasis and, and be here now. <laughs> yeah, my first take is that kind of similar to uh, your Bob Dylan and Neil Young uh, album uh, album list. Like in the 40s and 50s, I'm like, some of these got to be made up. Uh, especially if, like <laughs> when you're talking about like the post uh, standing on the shoulders of Giants one. But look, I like Oasis. I think your top 10 is impossible to argue with, although I put Do You Know What I Mean higher. Champagne Supernova seems like the obvious number one. Um, It's so strange because, like, Oasis is a band that, you know, when you talk about your experience loving them as a teen, to me, they were just a band that was on the radio. And, gosh, you're going to, like, Andy Falcus me after saying this, but... I was more of a blur and pulp person in high school. Right. That's fine. I'm, okay. I'm cool with that. I understand that. I, under, I understand because was the first song you heard by them Wonderwall? Uh, no, it was. I was. It was live for. It was no. It was supersonic. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah, and like I heard the records. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like they're, they're rock songs. I get it. Um, but yeah, I, I I more gravitated towards like blur and pulp blur and polk is like i needed to feel smart in high school like i'm gonna get out of this town not in the oasis way but i'm gonna go to like college there everyone's smart like how the fuck am i supposed to relate to anything that's happening on this is hardcore or like the great escape but uh with oasis like most people who also listen to hardcore i've done a complete 180 i've rediscovered oasis's catalog I like the Verve more because it, they're kind of like Oasis in that they're like dumb, but like they think they're smart, which to me is just like a perfect combination. But Be Here Now, I have a real soft spot for that album only because that was the first one I actually bought on CD and I made such a concerted effort to like it because, you know, I'm 17. What the fuck am I doing having $18 to spend on an Oasis album? Do you know what I mean? It's probably my favorite song of theirs. I try to listen to it. To me, it's just super interesting. Uh, it's 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 so monumental. Like I cannot think of an, another album that is more indicative of like a end of an era. Like not, I'm not talking about like Centipede Hurts. Like I'm talking like big level pop record 
this is the end of what was before and a time to come. So I like Oasis. Do I think more? I think we're reached kind of a critical mass of hardcore bands trying to rip them off. Uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pro Oasis generally. I just want yeah. stupid shit these days. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of people have actually had the same trajectory that you have. Where, and this is just based on feedback I've gotten from my piece this week. But I heard from a lot of people who were like, "I hated Oasis at the time, but I've really come to love them in retrospect." And I think it's because no one has really taken over their lane since they ended. That there isn't really a band that is so shameless about embracing rock cliches while also just being huge. Like they, they're not doing it in an ironic way and, you know, playing indie rock clubs and doing it in a small scale way. As you see some indie bands who do that, who embrace classic rock, but like, they're not really a classic rock band. This is a band that aped that stuff. And then they actually played stadiums and there's a swagger to them. There's a ridiculousness to them. And it's combined with like genuinely catchy songs that are really durable that I think have actually transcended the era in a way that I think a lot of Britpop doesn't. You know, I think even people who love Blur, I think Blur sounds very 90s. And Oasis has 90s-ness aspects to what they do. But at the same time, I think because of how in even in the 90s, yeah. they were sort of like a retro band. It's actually made them seem more timeless for that reason. And uh, and the fact that they broke up and there's always this chance that they might get back together. I don't know. I think there's like a lot of affection for them. And if they were to come back, there wouldn't be anyone for them to compete with because there's still like not that kind of band out there where <laughs> they're going to make you laugh unintentionally and also make you laugh on purpose like they because they're genuinely funny. funny the gallagher brothers like the first thing i wrote about in my column it's the 50th song it's not really an oasis song but it's that track wibbling rivalry which was a novelty release in england in 1995 it's it's a recording of liam and noel having a fight during an interview with an NME writer in 1994. It goes on for 14 minutes, and it's fucking hilarious. They're arguing about Liam getting kicked off a ferry in Amsterdam and about whether it's rock and roll to get kicked off of ferries. And it goes on for so long, and it's so funny. And, you know, there's just not a band like that where people are arguing and they're kind of dumb, but they're also like pretty smart too because they're clever. I don't know. I just think that, and combined with I think some genuinely timeless songs, it just makes them a band that I think has really aged much better than maybe you would have thought in 1995. I think they really translate as well as any band from that era. In a way, they remind me of Smashing Pumpkins in that way because they're another band that I think has aged really well and has aged better than other 90s bands that were more acclaimed in their time. I would agree with that although I will say that I that when you say age I don't think Billy Corgan's whole deal is aged very well but well the, <laughs> yeah the, the music, music oh, of course the music yeah like that people can go back to it like and younger people can go back to it and uh, appreciate it more than maybe other stuff from that era that would have been uh, again, more acclaimed uh, yeah. at the time. 
And yeah, in the case of Oasis, again, like there's just no band like that now that is that entertaining in that like specific way. There's great bands now, but they're not great in the same way that Oasis was great. So I think that's why they continue to endure and, and, and gain new fans. Yeah, I, hopefully like some rock bands are like reading up on this and just like, hey, maybe just like, let's just be like kind of dumb and shit. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't mean in that way. Like they're obviously very clever and they're good at what they do. But um, yeah, there's, I just love when you look at like Oasis live footage and like the most exciting band in the world in 1995 is just standingly fucking still on stage in enormous with their hands in their park. Right. It's, I would also, uh, we got to recommend the uh, supersonic uh, documentary um, that came out. I want to say in 2016, I remember driving to Cincinnati to see it. Cause that was the only place that was showing it in the, uh, the, the uh, Lexington Metro region. Uh, it does end with them playing Nebworth. Uh, and cuts off before they make Be Here Now. But yeah, just a really cool view of like what it was like to be like literally the biggest band in the world in 1995. And I'd also say too, and I included a link to this in my piece, but there is a great YouTube video of uh, highlights from the commentary <laughs> track that Noel did on the Time Flies box set, where it's just him talking about Oasis videos. And in a way, I feel like that's the best <laughs> yes. Oasis documentary out there. It's a 20-minute clip. I have that box set, so I have the entire disc, and the entire disc is great. But you really only need that 20 minutes because it is the highlights. And it's just, yeah, it's just Noel roasting <laughs> Oasis videos. And it's just side-splittingly <laughs> funny. So, yeah, see Supersonic, but if you don't have that time to commit to a two-hour movie, watch that 20-minute video you will not be sorry. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? Yeah, so uh, this is very much up the uh, IndieCast alley. Uh, it's a band called Spielbergs. Um, they came out with a record in 2019 that was... Uh, extremely celebration rock, not just like in the fact that it sort of sounded like Japan droids, but like other bands in that elk as well. Um, and even better, they were kind of like an older band from Norway, like in the 2000, in the late 2000s. Some of them were in kind of a orchestral blog rock band that opened for Yaysayer. So that sort of pivot from blog rock to celebration rock always makes me feel warm inside. But um, they're back now. They have a new album called Vestli. It's V-E-S-T-L-I. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. They're Norwegian. But um, look, they were unfashionable in 2019, probably even more so now, uh, to the point where I'm like kind of wondering, hey, is, are people going to be checking for this one? But the thing is, this record is even better than the one before. It's not like they make a huge you know, leap into electronics and like nine minute songs, but it's just a stronger, more distinct version of what they did before. And nobody is operating in this lane right now. It is so hard to get that celebration rock sound without being kind of embarrassing. Uh, but this band does it. It's done in a very artful way. It's done in a very um, crafty way. Um, and if, I mean, let's be fucking real here. If you listen to Indie Cash, you're going to like this band. So, uh, I mean, like, like, like this band sounds like bands that you like. It sounds like bands that we like. Uh, 
good folks too. I've interviewed them back in the day, and um, yeah, so I I recommend this album. It'll give you what you need. So, for my recommendation, I want to say quick that I'm sure that there were people listening to us talk about legacy acts that have a new album out today that were upset that we didn't talk about Cass McCombs, who has a new album out today. It's called Heart Mind. And the reason we didn't talk about it is because I am recommending it in Recommendation Corner. So delete your email, your angry email that you're going to write about us, not talking about Cass McCombs. I'm talking about him right now because I'm a big Cass McCombs fan, and I really like this record. And, of course, this is his 10th record. So Cass, again, another lifer, another big catalog. I have to say that I didn't really get into him until the 2010s. He put out two records in 2011. One was called Humor Risk, and the other one was called Wit's End. And that was really the beginning of me getting into his records. So I'm much more familiar with like the, the last six albums that he's put out, more than like the, the first four that he put out in the aughts. I'm still exploring those. I, I do like the record Catacombs quite a bit, but like the ones before that I still need to explore more fully. But someone asked me this week, I, I have an Ask a Music Critic column on Uproxx this week, and one of the questions was about Cass McCombs. Someone was wondering, has he passed the five albums test? And I was like, absolutely. He's a, He at least has six albums that I think are really, really good all in a row, the last six basically that he's made. And because I haven't fully investigated his catalog, the streak might be longer than that. Uh, but the thing I'll say about this album is that in recent years, over the past, like, I would say maybe his last two or three records, he's really taken more of like a jammy turn, really spotlighting his guitar playing in a really cool way. And I would say that this album is somewhat of a departure from that. It has, I think, an element of jamminess to it, almost like jazziness, I would say. There's not as much guitar, but again, really good songs. He's a really interesting lyricist. Uh, definitely not someone you can take at face value. A lot of different things going on. But again, this this is a guy who I think continues to evolve. He's never made the same album twice. This album is definitely in its own world. I mean, there's guest shots from everyone from Daniel Heim to Winona Judd on this record. So he's really drawn from like a wide cast of characters for this record. But in the end, it's still indelibly Cass McComb. So I did not forget him. I wanted to save him for the end for the recommendation corner. Definitely check out this record. It's out today. It's called Heart Mind. Yeah. It's by Cass McCombs. And true to form fashion, my favorite, uh, you know, kind of similar to the Mountain Goats and Hot Chip uh, discussions. My favorite is Catacombs. I love that record, but... I need to get deeper into that one. His last, the last decade for him has been really, really great for me. Uh, I've, I've really come to enjoy everything that he does. Also a really good live act. Uh, he's He always seems to put together cool bands. Although he's not coming to my town on his next tour, which is sad. I would have gone to see him, but be that as it may. We have now reached the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie and I recommend five albums per week and we'll send it directly to your email box.